Coming to you from the red, white, and blue. You're now tuned into the number one crypto podcast on the planet. This is Crypto Conquest. Discussing everything cryptocurrency and the evolution of financial systems to the blockchain. Now, here's your host, John Wingate. Welcome to another episode of the Crypto Conquest. We're still in season one, and I have a real treat for you today. I'm here with IndyCar driver Stefan Wilson, who, by the way, is also driving the Bank Social Indy 500 car this May. Want to make sure you tune into that. This is a really great podcast because we get inside Steph's head and we find out what really being an IndyCar driver is all about. It's a great chat. And then we also talk about crypto, one of both of our favorite things to talk about. So it's really a win-win podcast. Email us at admin at cryptoconquest.org. Subscribe, share, like, and tell all your friends about it. And make sure you visit us at cryptoconquest.org and give us a follow. Without further ado, here's my man, Stefan Wilson. All right. Welcome back to the Crypto Conquest. I'm supremely excited today to have on uh, somebody who is an athlete, uh, that you wouldn't typically, uh, get to chat with because there's first off so few of them and, uh, they, they tend to be, uh, you know, speeding around tracks a lot. I am honored to be joined by Stefan Wilson, IndyCar racer, and just joined up with Cusick Motorsports. Stefan, welcome. Thanks so much for being on. How are you today? Doing well. Thanks for having me uh, on the podcast and uh, really looking forward to uh, uh, talking about crypto and uh, and also talking about uh, IndyCar racing and the Indianapolis 500. So uh, obviously exciting to uh, to announce the partnership between Cusick Motorsports and uh, Bank Social and myself. We're, we're extremely proud and happy to, to be a part of that whole experience and, and uh, legacy that comes along with the Indy 500 and everything that um, you've been a part of. And, you know, I think because this is such a unique opportunity, uh, you know, I've personally never uh, been able to uh, connect with, the, I think, all of us as children and then growing up and having cars. And, uh, you know, I've owned a couple of Porsches. And so uh, we've always had that you know, inherently, uh, maybe especially as, as men, we have that kind of want to go fast. And so this is ex extremely exciting for me to be able to, you know, kind of get into the psyche of an athlete, you know, who's a race racer. Uh, and so that's where I want to start. I want to, I want to really find out about, you know, what, how did you become a racer? Like, what was that period of time in your, you know, growing up that you said, man, this is, this is what I want to do. And then, you know, how did you get into it? Yeah, it really started off when I was, was very young. Uh, so, so my dad, uh, he raced when he was younger, uh, this is back in the UK and, uh, I, you know, I, I'm originally from the UK, moved over to the States about 10 years ago. Um, and my dad just had this huge passion for the sport of racing. And obviously in Europe, it's more about formula one, for those people that are really familiar with Netflix's Drive to Survive, you know, I'd uh, <laughs> be very familiar with Formula One. Um, so you had this passion every Sunday. We would watch uh, the Grand Prix, and that was the sport that we were mostly into in our family. Um, so I'm actually uh, the younger sibling. Uh, my older sibling was uh, Justin Wilson. 
Um, he was about 11 years older than me and, uh, uh, he was the first one uh, around age eight to to get in a go kart. Um, so and and he went essentially from go karts all the way to Formula One. He got to race Formula One in two thousand and three. And you know, being eleven years behind him, you know, I kind of grew up around the racetrack myself, just kind of hanging on his on his coattails um, and, and you know, being at the racetrack watching him. So it was kind of natural for me um, to sort of get into the sport as well. So. When I was nine years old, uh, we, uh, my dad got me a go-kart and we started going around all the, the tracks in the UK, the go-kart tracks and, you know, doing it for fun. But even back then I had this ambition and this, uh, this, this desire to, to reach the very top. And at the time when I started, uh, early in my career, like when I was essentially uh, 10, 11 years old, that was around the time when my just when my brother Justin got to Formula One. So, this this dream wow. of mine was always to reach the top of the sport as well and compete against him. I remember being a little kid uh, playing. Uh, I think it was Nigel Man. Like there was a Nigel Mansell who's a famous British racing driver. There was like a video game, um, and me and Justin would just go back and forth. Uh, competing against each other even though there's a big age difference you know we're playing like nintendo and uh <laughs> competing against each other on that so there was this always this competitive competitiveness inside me that uh wanted to reach the top of the sport so justin moved to the states uh pursued indycar racing unfortunately he passed away in 2015 um due to race due to a racing accident um, but my my passion for the for this sport and um you know, my determination to, to win races for him as well as for myself, um, is still there. Wow. That's, that's incredible. What, at what point did you, you know, I know that you said early on in your life, you understood that you wanted to race at what point in your life, uh, this is always of interest to me. Cause I think there's a, there's a point in, especially an athlete's career where, you know, it starts to, it starts to whittle down, you know, you go from a lot of people to less people to less to even less, and, you know, it's just the natural progression of being that elite athlete. At what point did you realize and understand that not only you wanted to do it, but you knew that you were going to do it because you were that much better than your peers? At what point did you realize that? Um, you know, I don't think it was, it was probably, um, that's a really interesting question. I guess I never even Really so you always just about inherently it. felt that you're you're that person, right? Because I hear that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think you have to have that kind of determination, and you know, I, I feel like well. So when I first moved out of karting and went to to race cars, because there's a kind of a stepping stone from you know these uh, go karts that were race on track, um, and then you move into cars um, and. That happened around uh, 17, uh, 16, 17 from myself. And in that first year, I had a lot of, uh, I, I'm six foot four. So I, I'm, I'm fairly wow, tall. So you're tall. And you're real tall. I, for racing. I'm probably the tallest driver in the series, if not in the world at six foot four, because they, they don't really accommodate the, anyone much taller. <laughs> so, um, you know, so racing go-karts, uh, you can imagine it at, even at 16, I was like six, two, six, one. 
I was really uh, a disadvantaged in that in that category because I was so much taller. Unfortunately, that means I'm heavier. Um, and so the first year I moved from carts to cars, I had a lot of success actually. So um, in that first year, and I won the the McLaren Autosport Award, which is this award in the UK designed to help boost uh, one driver each year, and it kind of earns you a it earns you a Formula One test with McLaren. So in that first year, usually wow, cool. it takes like a couple of years for someone to um, essentially win that award. And that happened in my first year in the car. So it kind of like suddenly at that point, that was probably the point where I was like, oh, wow. Like I, I can, like I've won, I want to make, make it to the top. And like, this is, this is really validating this belief I have in myself to make it to the top. But it is, uh, it is a really there's so much more than just what you do on the track. There's, there's such a business aspect of the sport as well. Um, and, you know, building this, uh, this group of, of partners around you that can benefit from your on track activities as well, um, is, is what enables you to, to be on track. So, you know, uh, it, it is, it's, it is more than just, uh, what your performance is on the track. There's, there's, there is all these other elements that you've got to, you've got to, uh, develop and, and be good at as well. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, long winded story there, but that point was probably around the 17th for me when that, after that first year of, uh, racing cars. So, you know, you've mentioned a few different things here. And I think one of the, one of the things that people often get confused on is formula one versus Indy because the cars look very similar, like just to, just to a layman, you know, the Indy car and the formula one car look very similar. Can you kind of give us a quick breakdown of what the difference is between an Indy car and a formula one car? So we have absolutely. perspective going forward. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And I'm sure that, you know, there's a, probably a lot of viewers that are, are tuned into this that only really have that um, background of Formula One. Maybe they only know that because of Drive to Survive. So definitely, I think it's a good uh, opportunity to kind of describe the two and, and uh, distinguish the two. So, you know, Formula One is, is mostly, uh, it, it's worldwide, but it's I'd say it's mostly based in Europe. Um, and uh, with races in uh, Asia and in, Mer- in North America and South America and in in uh, um, Australia, China, whatever you know, so they well, they predominantly they base the season in Europe and then uh, branch out from there. So they only race on street circuits and permanent road courses. So IndyCar, while the cars look a lot uh, very very similar to the Formula One car, if you were just to ask um, someone that didn't have a lot of knowledge about uh, the sport, they would say they look the same. Yeah. Um, the, the Formula One car, uh, it's a bespoke car that's built every year. And some of those teams, they're spending uh, $400 million a year to develop those cars and race those cars. Wow. It's kind of insane. Yeah, I know you've wow. got Mercedes, Ferrari. It's a big, big business. Um, in IndyCar, we've had... They, they keep a spec chassis, so there's no development on the chassis, and it, it's kept it's been kept like that for, for many years now to to keep the cost down. So uh, realistically, the budgets for race teams in IndyCar um, are more around the the five six million dollar range. So wow, quite skills. quite a big cost saving IndyCar based <laughs> uh, compared to Formula One, um, and and really IndyCar uh, is a much more diverse schedule we we race on 
uh, permanent road courses. We race on street circuits, um, so very similar to F1. Um, but on another aspect, we race on ovals. So we have short ovals, uh, super speedways, um, and really what IndyCar is really about is the Indianapolis 500. If for any American viewers, that's that should be a name that everyone's familiar with. But it, I think it everybody's a, familiar with that, you know. It, yeah, it, it's a bucket list sporting event. Um, you know, it's the first ever Indianapolis 500 uh, took place in 1911. Wow. Uh, the, the Speedway was built in 1909, and uh, the only years they missed were during World War One and World War Two. So, you know, where continuous this, uh, this, for that long yeah yeah so wow the uh the next year's race um will be the 106 running of the indianapolis 500 which is just pretty amazing really that um, is incredible fin- yeah and you you see some of the machines the the cause the cause they raced back in 1911 um, I was going to ask if they were horses, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it probably wasn't far off, um, you know. And at the time, the first year they did it, it was uh, it was on dirt. It was like just a dirt dirt track, and then they uh, bricked it and they laid. Uh, essentially, they, that's why they call it a brickyard because ah, they laid um, they made the surface all out of bricks. Um, so it's like a cobblestone road Jeez. for 500 miles. Oh my no God. Suspension. How would you feel in that? You know, <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, those guys, that's, that's when men were men, I think, you know, like, uh, it, it would take them like 12 hours to do this, the, the 500 miles. And in, in today we do that in, in two hours and 45 minutes, essentially, you know, the only thing that slows us down is, is yellows. Um, you know, if there's a, if there's a crash and we, we have to go, yell, uh, go into caution, then obviously it brings the speed down. But most of the time we're, we're averaging a lap of the two and a half mile circuit in the race around 210, 215 miles an hour. Wow. Wow. And, and I'm, I'm assuming that IndyCar is named after the Indianapolis 500. Like that's the reason it's called IndyCar, right? That's correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it had a few different names over the years. Um, there was a, a kind of a uh, split between the, the, the main category um, that was called Champ Car. Um, essentially kind of uh, the, the main series, there was different opinions, different views. Um, amongst the the owners of the series and there was a split and then it reunified in 2008 and since then it's kind of been on the rebound it's really been growing as a sport in america yeah i think uh i i you know liken it to when you when you look at kind of the different um you know it's not really I mean, I know there's a team behind it, so I'm not going to discount everybody who's part of, you know, making uh, your team a success because it definitely is a team. But when you're when you're out there in the car on the course, you know, of course, you come in for pit stops and in the team. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of it's kind of like golf in a sense where, you know, a golfer has a team, he's got trainers, he's got a caddy, he's got, he's definitely has his team, but he's the one out there, you know, hitting the shot Mm -hmm. in in that regard. And so I kind of, and you see a similar, uh, you know, um, uh, type of 
person that watches IndyCar. And I think that's, it's really starting to take off. I mean, I know my dad, he's from just outside of Indianapolis and in Indiana and it's one oh, of the biggest, cool. ev- yeah, it's one of the biggest events that, so we're actually going to, we're, we're actually going to be up there together. He's going to, he's going to go with me to the race. So that'll be exciting for him. He's never actually been to an Indianapolis 500 race, but you know, it's been part of his life since uh, he was born. Cause he's, you know, from so close and it's such a big event. And that's in- great. Yeah. I- I mean the the event itself it, it truly is it's it's a Super Bowl of of, of racing and it, yep. it's something that uh, anyone that's listening that's not been or doesn't know what know much about it they should really look at at making it out there for one of these days to, to actually go and visit and and uh, being there for for one of the races because it, it's truly incredible like in that facility. Um, 400,000 people are there on race day. Wow. It's the biggest sporting event, uh, single day sporting event in the world, um, in terms of capacity. And it, it kind of takes your breath away every time you see that kind of crowd in one place. And, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, I think there's some kind of crazy stat out there that when all those people, um, sort of are are inside the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in that, uh, in that, uh, location, it becomes like the, uh, eight biggest city, wow. eight biggest, eight biggest city, um, in maybe it's in Indiana. I don't, I, I don't know the exact fact, it might but be the most kind of people stuff. packed into like, you know, the most people the in same, the world yeah. packed into like a one mile radius or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's wow. some kind of crazy style. I'll have to find that, but it, it like kind of, blow, take, it kind of like blows your mind. You're like, wow, that is a lot of people. And, um, it is, it kind of sends goosebumps up your arm because, you know, you know, you're about to sort of witness history, you know, I just actually got, I, I'm going to show you, I got goosebumps just now when, you, <laughs> you know, when you were telling me this, because it is kind of an amazing stat to, you know, I played college football and I've been in stadiums where you have 60, 70, 80,000 people. You know, I think the, the biggest one I was ever at was a, at Iowa and there was 105,000 nice. people in, you know, in the stadium in Iowa. And that's an amazing feeling seeing that many people and hearing that many people cheering, but 400,000, yeah. I mean, that's just, that's just incredible <laughs> to have that many people watching a, a single event. How did it, are, it's are, an incredible atmosphere. I bet. How are you, you know, I want to talk to you a little bit about the actual racing itself here in a second. I guess we'll segue into that like this. When you're at the Indianapolis 500 specifically, are you able to hear that cheering as you're racing around the track? Uh, No, not when we're in the car. Like essentially the the noise of the engine is so loud. It's you're sitting right in front of it. So, um, you know, when that is, is, uh, singing, uh, 215 miles an hour, um, you're so focused on what you're doing and the engine is so loud, um, that you really can't, you know, under caution when, you know, the speeds drop down to 60, 70 miles an hour and you're just kind of cruising around. Um, you know, there is times when you've heard, you can hear them a little bit, but, uh, when they get really loud, um, maybe that's when, uh, when one of the, the, uh, crowd favorites uh, takes the lead. You, you people say they can hear it, but uh, yeah, usually it's the engine that you, you just can't hear anything about it. 
So let, let's talk about the actual race experience for a second. So, you know, uh, kind of training, uh, I'm, I'm assuming you're more of like a year round type train, right? So, um, you know, probably simulators are part of your training ritual, actual, you know, on track time as part of your ritual. What is, what is it like to be training as a, you know, professional race car driver? Can you give us kind of an idea of that first as we, you know, kind of look at this? Yeah. So, you know, it's really interesting that the, the cost of running the car itself on track is so expensive that the actual amount of time you get to spend testing and practicing in the car is, is actually very, uh, very limited, you know? So we have to utilize simulators. Like we talked about the simulated technology these days, it's just getting so advanced, um, that it can really help us uh, as drivers prepare. And, um, outside of that, you know, you're, you're looking back at old notes, you know, so, um, every, every race that you do, uh, you're keeping like a, almost like a journal of, mm. okay. Uh, you know, changes we've made to the car, you know, so, you know, the, the cars, even though the, the actual chassis is spec, you know, so everyone has the same chassis, um, you, you can still modify, like you can still modify the settings on that chassis so we're talking camber caster sure, sure, ride yeah. heights you know wing settings all these uh sort of ingredients to try and get make that car as fast as it can be so um you know that you're kind of trying to optimize the grip level uh, mm -hmm. you're trying to optimize uh, the the you know reduced drag out of the car and uh, you're you're keeping a record of all these things you try because if it works once you know, that's something that you want to, uh, you want to keep track of that because in the future it might, it might be the missing ingredient to kind of make the car faster in the future. So, um, you're, you're studying notes from the previous year or the previous two years, you know, getting an idea going into the race weekend. Okay. What are the, what are some things that we, I want to keep on the, uh, on the forefront of my mind here, things to try, things to change, um, things that we didn't get to in the previous year that we want to uh, explore this year and um, then watching old old film so old uh, old Indy 500 races um, seeing what what events happen because you know you can sort of see um, potential what could potentially happen uh, in, in this year's race you know so mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. things like that and then outside of that you know you've got to be physically fit so you know, it's, uh, I, I utilize a lot of mountain biking. I, I do oh, wow. a bit of road cycling, but I, I really don't, I'm not that passionate about it. Um, so it's I hard to do it. Um, <laughs> mountain biking. Yeah, yeah. That it is, uh, you know, you got the Hills and the, and, the, and you live in the uh, perfect place for it too. You're in Denver. Mm -hmm. right? I'm in Denver. Yeah. Yeah. So and you then, live in a wonderful place for it. And then boxing too. I, I really enjoy boxing oh, wow. as a workout. So that's a great um, workout. It is. It is a lot of respect for boxes. So, uh, you know, it sounds like, you know, let me, let me see if I've understood correctly. You're like, you know, a CEO who comes in and looks at, you know, the past performance of the vehicle over the last, you know, even other vehicles, you know, you're studying film, you're looking at all these things. And then, you know, it's really up to you to put together, yeah. you know, you, you take an input from your engineers and, and, you know, your, your pit teams and all that on what they think should be done, but it's really up to you to put together the game plan 
for that specific race, taking in all that input, whether that's, you know, your team's input or prior races or your own notes that you've taken over races. And that really all falls on your shoulders. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So we're, we're usually paired with an engineer, um, you know, so uh, for, I've been fortunate the last two Indy 500s I've raced in, I've been paired with the same engineer and, and really there's, so, so together we're making decisions to try and improve the, the performance of the vehicle. And, you know, where that relationship you have with them, uh, with the engineer and the rela- engineer has with you is, is really crucial. So um, I don't know if you'd liken that to a CEO and a COO, but, you know, you've got to be sort of on the same uh, wavelength. You've got to have um, trust each other. Uh, it's, you know, in, so, in terms of like, if he suggests something that he thinks might be a good, good change, um, you've got to trust him. And, and even if it sounds a bit wacky, you know, it's like, well, okay, well, I'll go and try it. Um, you know, ultimately, you know, I'm the one in the car. I'm the one that's feeling what it's going to do. I'm the one that is putting my, but on the line, essentially, you know, yeah, we're, oh we're doing yeah. <laughs> speeds of literally 236 miles an hour turning into the corner. And at that point, it's just kind of a massive leap of faith. You're like, I think it's going to be good. <laughs> so, <laughs> of course, you're using like uh, feelings on the outlap building up to that point, uh, you know, and all, all this information that you're that as drivers were processing, you know, um, how everything that's led up to that bit where you, you turn in at 237, 38 miles an hour and you're hoping it sticks. Um, but you, you also got to trust your own ability as a driver that if it doesn't stick, you can make corrections and, and not hit the wall. <laughs> but sometimes <laughs> that does happen. So. Yeah. I mean, that, that's a, you know, a CEO and a COO is probably a a great way to, to push that. I mean, they really have to know your, you know, in order to be able to make decisions or or provide suggestions, they've got to know what your driving style is and, you know, where you excel and, and where, you know, maybe things you do different than other racers. Um, you know, I'm, I'm speculating a little bit here, but it definitely sounds like there's a component of the more you have the same engineer on your side, the, the, um, you know, the better your overall outcome is going to be as you guys continue to work together. Is that something that's mandated from Indy? Like who you get as your engineer or is that your race team more? That's the race team. Yeah. So it all, you know, your, there's engineers out there that have uh, resumes, et cetera. And, and, you know, the team uh, is, you know, hires and you know, selects the the guys they want. And then I've just been fortunate that I've, I've really hit it off with the engineer that I've worked with the last two times. And, you know, I think there is that kind of learning process with each other. You kind of feeling out each other's style and, and ways of, uh, of thinking, and then you get comfortable with that. And it's, it's really uh, amazing when you you're, you're on the same uh, same wavelength because you're kind of almost uh, you're thinking about you're thinking about the same strategy so that you're already kind of think on the same page of okay this happened in this in, in this uh, session and to fix that let's go and do let's uh, implement this change and it's happened several times last year that we're already thinking about the same change. So mm. when it's like that, it's, it's just like, it, it's all in sync, you know, it, it's, um, 
it, it's it really uh, it is it's so much about relationships, you know, and, and um, working well as a team together. So now, you know, you've taken us through, you know, what it, what it's like, you know, training, you've taken us through, you know, the, the preparation that the team you make and how you're making your decisions. And now it's race day. Okay. Now you're, you know, it's time to get in the seat and be, you know, what are you four or five inches above the pavement, you know, speeding around at 238 miles an hour. Um, I think it's maybe one inch. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So, I mean, literally you are, you Maybe are two. Yeah. scraping, you know, above the pavement. Mm-hmm. What is that, you know, um, you know, again, I I've studied a lot of athletes and, you know, it, it seems that there's a range of, and I, I don't know if it's really sport-based. It seems to be somewhat sport-based, uh, you know, individual sports, tend to be like, I heard something about, uh, Floyd Mayweather. I was reading a Tim Ferriss book the other day and I heard something about Floyd Mayweather before his fights. Uh, you know, he was, he was getting interviewed and watch and playing video games or watching T I can't remember exactly what he was doing, but you know, he seemed very, uh, unfocused, uh, but his really, his, his, his feedback to that was, or his, his response to that was, no, I'm, I'm already been prepared. Like if I need to focus in these last few minutes and that, that might make sense for boxing, right? Like you've already, uh, you know, other sports where you have a lot more going on, you have teammates, you've got, you know, even in this racing. So what is your preparation look like for the day? You know, the day before coming up to the race, you're about to get in the car. Are you, are you really focused on the track and every turn and how you're going to enter it? And are you one of those visualization? Uh, I very much was, you know, I tried to visualize the first 20 plays of the game because we had them scripted out in football. How do you do, how do you come into the race? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I think visualization is uh, definitely a, a, a tool that, uh, that I use, um, you know, just not just the start of the race. You know, you, you're trying to think of, you know, there's so many variables. You've got 30, at Indy, you've got 33 cars on the track. Um, that's how many race uh, on that day. So you've got 32 other guys that all have a strategy in their, in their head. And you're just trying to think about the people around you, um, what are they, what they're going to do. Um, so you're trying to visualize all these different scenarios. You know, if this guy goes to the left, I go to the right, or do I stay behind him? Do I, you know, beat him to the, uh, to the bottom and stay below him? You know, so you, you're trying to visualize the start, but then also visualize kind of, um, you're trying to visualize success, you know, you're trying to visualize the, the end, you know, fighting for the win and the scenarios that can happen. So you uh, are focused on the race. I mean, it sounds like you get focused on the race. That's your, you know, is the race. Absolutely. And then unlike some other sports, we, as, as drivers, we still have a lot of media commitments and obligations on that the day before. So, it's kind of exhausting. You kind of run a gauntlet on Saturday, the day before the race of just going to these different media appearances, sponsor obligations, because, you know, really what allows me to race on the track is the sponsors that, sure. that support the entry and like make bank it happen. Social. Bank, <laughs> like bank social. So, you know, I, I want to make sure that um, I'm available for them and, and making sure that everyone is, is getting as much value out of that as possible about out of this event as possible. So, you know, 
there's a lot of obligations to 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 think about on the Saturday. Then the Sunday, uh, even still, you know, you're only a couple hours away from the race, but there is a few more obligations just to kind of tick off because you know some some sponsors only come in for that Sunday, you know. So we still want to make sure that um, everyone feels special. You meet and greet with them. Um, so you're, you're thinking about the business side as well as the racing side. And then uh, there's a At lot. What sort point of- do you find yourself turning off that and say, you know, when you when you, you know, exit that conference media room where you're, you know, you've been, you know, you've had to put on your business suit, right? And you're walking around. Yeah. When you exit out of there, are you immediately? Do you get out of that mode and say, okay, the race is, you know, twelve t minus twelve hours, right? And now you're. Yeah. Yeah. So, so up to that point, you're switching back and forth between the two, you know, Hey, um, what's going on with the car over here with the engineer? Um, are we sure we want to make this change? You know, what about this change? Have you thought about that? And then you're immediately switching back to kind of shaking hands and, you know, thanking the supporters that, 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 um, have made, made this entry possible, making sure you meet the, the right uh, meet, meet all the sponsors that uh, have made it possible. So you're sort of switching back between the two um, faces of, of the sport, if that makes sense. Um, and then once you, we, we've got a set schedule. So once that last sort of obligation sponsor appearance or media appearance is done, it's immediately like the business side goes away and it's 100% focus on, on, uh, on the races to come. So, um, yeah, you have to be a bit fluid on that, that sort of 24 hours before and, and be able to, to kind of, uh, be both, uh, hit both angles. And then once that last <laughs> appearance is done, it's like fully focused. And I remember this feeling in 2018, there was a lot of obligations, media obligations the day uh, of the morning of and the, and the, the day before. And that moment actually sliding down into the cockpit and, it with the helmet on was actually like the most calming moment. It was possible. the relief. Think, I was like, okay, yeah. Yeah, finally, <laughs> you know, I'm in the car. <laughs> you would think uh, like, I actually anticipated that being like the most stressful part of it all. But actually it was like this moment of like Zen where it was just like, okay, like I'm, I, I'm fully focused on this right now. And I think that's what I love about racing the most cool. is that, you know, it, it kind of naturally you have to think in the moment, you know, there's so many, you know, today in today's world, there's so many things going on in our world. There's so much, uh, you know, social media as well that, you know, it, it's so easy to be in your own head and have all these different forces just spinning around. And with something like racing or something like boxing as well, that puts you in the moment and makes you just focus on one thing. Um, that's what I, I love about racing and, and driving and, um, that's what people ask. You know, people always ask me like, Oh, is it cause you're just an adrenaline junkie? And I'm like, no, it's like, it's the competition side of it that I love. You know, it's a chess match at 220 miles an hour. And I love just feeling in the moment and not having only having one thought going through your mind. And that's driving this car rather than, you know, have I done this post? Have I uh, reached responded to that email? <laughs> you know, like yeah, it seems. Like, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it's probably if we had to, you know, if I had to paint a picture of just somebody who, you know, if you bringing all these things together, it's almost like meditating in a, you know, F 16 
with yeah. <laughs> 30 through 32 other F-16s around you trying to get in and around and in front and everything. And you, you really have to be more in the moment than you could ever be anywhere else because every split second, there's another decision being made at the speed of light. Right. Absolutely. Like, yeah. Absolutely. That's crazy. Yeah. That's awesome. That's this, you awesome. know, to, to win the Indy 500, that's, that's my, my Mount Everest, you know, like, you know, just to be in it is, as as being, you know, is, is climbing Mount Everest, but oh then gosh. to win it is yeah. to, to reach the summit. That's not just like, causing, that's not just, yeah. I mean, let me, let me give you my perspective. Maybe for you it yeah. is, but you've already reached like the very, you know, you're not at the summit. You're right. But you are like literally right there. Yeah. You're not just climbing Mount Everest anymore. You know, a lot of people yeah. trying to climb Mount Everest, you are right there. And, and yeah, I, you know, I can definitely see and understand how getting to the top is your summiting of Mount Everest. Yeah. You are right there, Stefan. I mean, don't, you know, don't downplay it at all, but uh, yeah, I, I think so. That's, this is awesome. I, I love hearing about that and, you know, kind of the whole, process end to end, but let's get into crypto a little bit and let's talk about that for a few minutes. Tell us about your crypto experience. I know that you've been uh, somebody who's, who got into mining, which is, you know, I always, whenever I hear that, I know that somebody understands crypto at a deeper level than just, you know, buying a Bitcoin, right? <laughs> yeah. So why don't you tell us about how you got involved there, how you got started? I uh, I started in 2013. Obviously, it was uh, early. that's a yeah. I'd say it was early, but not like super early, was it? You know, that's pretty early. It was pretty early. That's pretty uh, early. You know, there was really only Bitcoin and Litecoin, and I I think Ethereum was even around at that point. Uh, no, um, I, I don't think Ethereum was around at that point, but it was, you know, Bitcoin, Litecoin, maybe Dogecoin was just coming online, but you didn't yes, have many. Yes, you're right. Dogecoin, Dogecoin was there as well. Yeah. So I, I sort of like, I was uh, interested in it, interested in the, the technology and, and it's kind of, I had this gaming, old gaming PC and I started uh, trying to mine uh, Bitcoin with it. And I don't even know if I really mined a lot of Bitcoin, because I think even at the time you needed like dedicated miners. And I looked into like buying dedicated miners and like calculating the, the electricity costs of running that and how much Bitcoin it would generate. We and thought too much, Stefan, you and I, I know, both. We thought I know. too much. We should have just done it. I, you know? <laughs> I know. I looked at it and was like, well, looking at the cost, like the cost of electricity versus the cost of the, the price of the coin right now. I'm like, you know, you just kind of like making a few dollars, you know, so, and then, but no one, like, I, I just didn't have a crystal ball enough to realize that, you know, what, what, it, how, where it was really going to go. And, and I shouldn't both. have been, I shouldn't have been looking at it, the cost versus, uh, of electricity versus the price of the coin, then, um, what it was going to be in the future. If we'd known that, then, uh, we, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it would we'd be, be living a, on private islands. That's now, right. You know? That's but, right. And, and then my, my wife was like, oh, I don't understand this. This is not, a, this is a terrible investment. And I was like, you know, you're right. And I just, I kind of oh, gave up on it. You yeah, know, well. I, I know, I, I know I mined quite a bit of Litecoin because that was easier to mine at that time. Yeah. And I didn't mind. I don't know if I really mined that much Bitcoin because it was so, even at that point, it was so hard. So I, but I lost all the, all the wallets for it. Oh, I, tell I, me about I, it. I, 
I have searched high and low. We've moved like three times since then. And I'm like, I, I keep hoping that one day I'm going to find this little scrappy piece of paper with some, a lot of, a lot of digits on there that have my, my wallet on there. Cause I, I, it's the not, not knowing. I can't even remember how much I, I even mind. So I, I, it's the not knowing what is even in there that is bugging me the most. Well, let me give you some hope. Okay. I had this, a very similar story to yours. I, I wasted and spent a lot of Bitcoin frivolously on stupid stuff, but I did find one wallet. It didn't have much in it. It had like 10 grand in it, but I did find after, you know, what, uh, almost eight years, uh, in a similar manner as you in one of, in a book that I had, uh, wow. I was just going through it and I found a piece of paper where I put it and I was like, Oh, there it is. Look at that. No way. Yeah. That and must I, have been the best surprise. Ever. Just well, like- it was, it was what got me back into, you know, so in 2017, 2018, I kind of got back, yeah. got in, in early 20, you know, late 2010, got out in 2013, you know, cause I was like, yeah, wow. it's kind of boring. And then got back in, in Ethereum, got back out in 2017 and then didn't get back in again. I've always watched it and been very close to the technology and what's going on, but didn't get back in until, you know, just about a, eight months ago. And the, what got me back in was finding that piece of paper and saying, Oh, look, $10,000 to play with, you know, that but, is amazing. Yeah. So there's hope. It's like, I, uh, if you didn't know what was in the account, like it's like the it's like finding a, a, a hidden treasure treasure chest that you absolutely just, like, so excited just to open it and see with your own eyes what is in there. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I you know when I saw it, I knew immediately what it was because I remembered writing yep. it down, and wow. I just it was like you know, it was like Christmas morning when I was eight years old, didn't know what I was yeah. going to find, but at the, <laughs> you know, at what Bitcoin was that like 38,000 or 40,000. And I was like, shit, you know, I, I had these from when they were, you know, 10 bucks or five bucks. I can't remember how much they were when I bought them, but yeah, it was, it was nice. It was a good, it was a good chunk and it was all from mining too, you know, just being yeah. in a mining pool with, with a small amount. So, you know, where do you see, you know, from your perspective, you know, you're in this group of athletes that, um, you know, it's a very small tight knit group of people. Do they see Bitcoin? What is the sentiment from kind of your, your group of people and from you specifically about the future of cryptocurrency, where it's going, where it is, how, you know, what the next steps are? Yeah. I mean, I I don't want to speak for anyone else in my peer group, but I'm certainly a a believer. um, And I think that, you know, there, there is so many altcoins right now that really don't serve a purpose. And I think that's going to get thinned out to the ones that really truly have a purpose, like Bank Social has a purpose. And, you know, I think that um, it, it's going to stop, you know, that, that thinning should happen. Um, and, you know, I think at the same time, that's only going to drive the, the prices up of the 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 uh, cryptos that, that really do serve a purpose. So, you know, Bitcoin is always going to be the mainstay. Um, and I think that that's going to likely increase. Maybe, uh, you know, maybe it might have a couple of highs and lows, but ultimately long term, I, I see it going above 100, uh, 100,000, I think. Um, oh, maybe man. that's a bit bold, but I mean, No, I don't think that's bold at all. I think that, are you talking short that's term realistic. or are you talking like Yeah, five, I think in like years. in the next year, you know? Yeah, um, I think so. I think, uh, so, but I, I mean, I don't, I mean, 
don't listen to me. I'm just speculating, but yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah that's, yeah. you know, um, <laughs> but I, I think that's, that's realistic. I think. Yeah. And I think like, uh, you know, the, your, your numbers and your projections and timelines, uh, you know, I would agree with, again, I'm, we're just all speculating here, but I would agree that, um, you know, it, it definitely has a bright future ahead of it. Most of the tokens that are out there, I think I saw some uh, equation or, or some numbers that pointed to about uh, being about 15,000 tokens in the world. Um, you know, and if we just take, you know, law of averages, probably only four to 5% of those will ever actually mm-hmm. formulate beyond just the, the current, ethos of what's going on the current zeitgeist of what's going on everybody wants to get into crypto um but it sounds like you're you know uh being a longtime person in it you've been watching it and you're still very interested in the space and you know i know that when we initially engaged um the fact that you have been in the space and you understand the space was exciting for us because we felt like there was a, and then the more we got to know you and the more we got to talk to you, we understood that there's really a true partner. You know, we, we believe in you, you believe in the the crypto space and what bank social is going to do. And, you know, that was really what, uh, at the end of the day made this very, very exciting and, and, uh, even more exciting to meet you and, uh, you know, watch your progress here as we go through the next season. We're super excited for, I'm personally can't wait for the Indy 500 to come so I can go out there and feel the rush of those cars flying around. Uh, but I'm, I'm looking, looking forward to, uh, to representing bank social on the track. I just wish I was as fast as bank social is really. Oh, well, you know, I mean, that's, that's going to be hard to do because there's some, there's some <laughs> speed there, but you know, I, I, uh, I think that, um, you know, it's a great partnership in what we're doing and, uh, you know, we're excited to be part of, of everything that you're doing, Stefan. Uh, it's, it's truly exciting and it's a pleasure to be a part of what you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, no, I really appreciate the opportunity to join you on the, the podcast here and, uh, Hopefully, uh, educate a lot of a lot of people on the the uh, the difference between IndyCar and Formula One today. <laughs> yeah, and I think they got in your head a little bit too, and that's always exciting. So, Steph- Stephen Wilson, I really appreciate you coming on today. All the love, all the power, and all. Uh, if there's anything you want to sign us out with, I'll let you have the last word here. No, um, yeah, just uh, tune in at uh, the Indy 500s in uh, in May. 2022 it's gonna be the 106 running so uh um yeah look for the uh the car with bank social on it what's your uh, twitter handle so people can follow you uh twitter handle is at s-t-e-f steph underscore wilson there you go you guys got it go follow the man make him famous make him more famous he's already famous let's make him more famous (laughs) (laughs) thanks john yeah it's my pleasure Stefan. you have a great day you too thanks bye-bye